Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homely. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we help entrepreneurs like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Be sure to check out our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. There you will find this episode. You'll find our entire collection of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. And you'll see the links where you can subscribe to your favorite syndication network, of which we are on several. So with that out of the way, we're going to jump in with something that is a timeless topic and also a very exciting topic that many of our listeners enjoy. And when we run topics of this genre, we tend to get a lot of engagement, and people really love this stuff. So today, we're going to discuss selling with confidence and style. So many folks out there are looking to discover how to sell in a way that leads to sales. And there is an art and a science to that. One of the themes that we have tested through our various marketing is that time-worn phrase, selling without selling, and there's something about that that causes people to respond in a way that feels like their own idea. When we talk about marketing, there's really three things we consider. There's what people say they want, there's what people consciously think they want, and then there's what causes them to respond in a way that makes it feel like it's their own idea and do so positively. And when you're able to sell with confidence and style, you will find yourself able to tap into level three, as I just described, in your prospects. To guide us through this journey, we have with us Nicole Jansen. And this is somebody we've wanted to have on the Business Creators Radio Show for a while now, and we're so honored to have her with us. And let me just tell you a little bit about Nicole. I'm going to off the official bio. Here we go. Business Breakthrough Coach, Master Facilitator, and Human Behavior Specialist, Nicole Jansen, has helped thousands of people transform their lives and achieve extraordinary results in business and sales. Her 30-plus years of experience as a business owner, sales professional, and advanced-level coaching trainer has uniquely equipped her to empower greatness in others. She is the founder of Discover the Edge. She is the host of the wildly popular Leaders of Transformation podcast, one of the handful of podcasts I check in with regularly, available through so many different outlets. And she's the co-author of the book, Power Up, Superwomen. So, Nicole, come on in. The fine. Oh, thanks for having me, Adam. I'm excited to be here today. And likewise. Now, our listeners know that when we get to about this point in our conversation, people start to lean in and start opening up separate browser tabs, and they start binging the Googles to discover more about Nicole Jansen and Discover the Edge, and maybe even Leaders of Transformation podcast, all those things I just mentioned. And so what we'd like to do is just sort of take a quick step back before we get right into this, and tell us a little bit about your journey, Nicole, and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. I mean, I read off your official biography. It's so impressive that I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be on my own show with you. But let's hear about Nicole the woman and discover more about what's brought her here today. Thanks, Adam. Well, you know, it's funny because um, when you've been around for a while, uh, you have the opportunity to work with a lot of people, and it adds up after a while. So I've been in business for myself for over 30 years. Um, had the unique opportunity at a very young age uh, to get into business, to be a knee-deep in business. My parents were entrepreneurs, and so it was a natural for me to start my own business when I was 16 years old. Um, and I say that's my first official business because it's the first one I really registered. Uh, prior to that, I used to have little businesses on the side. I sold and made and sold jewelry, sold at the flea market when I was in grade school, sold to my friends. And um, I've just always had that entrepreneurial spirit. 
Now, fast forward, I started my business, went out and started selling door-to-door, and I, I didn't know much about business, but what I knew is you needed to have a product and you needed to have somebody to sell it to, and you needed to make that connection. And so the, the best way I knew how to sell my first product, which was fax machines, which I'm going to date myself, but you know they were brand new, and they were $2,500. And I thought, well, this is fantastic. I can buy it at wholesale. I can sell it at retail. This will be great. Great start for me. So I actually went out and started selling it door to door. Um, and of course, uh, you know, I'm 16, 17 years old. Who's going to buy from me, right? Uh, these big companies. So I thought, well, how can I get to the decision makers and uh, and do it with in the, in the quickest amount of time? So I actually went into industrial areas around where my dad had his garage business, and I started walking indoors, uh, walking in the door, talking to people, getting to the business owner, and having the conversation. And so um, I quickly realized I wasn't fascinated by fax machines, and so I went on to different product lines. But that really created the foundation for me of understanding what selling really was and what we're going to be talking about today. And also gave me a foundation for business. And so uh, I continued on that. I've sold everything under the sun, services, products, uh, business opportunities, and so forth. And then uh, my parents actually had a number of businesses, one of which became very uh, successful. I had been working with them in that business uh, for many years. And so I started to put more and more of my time there. And by the time I was in my mid to late 20s, we had built that business up. This is in the 90s now. Um, I built that business uh, with them up to a uh, an eight-figure business, and so just over 10 million. And we're really excited about that. And um, we had business growing all over the world, and just having a fantastic experience with that. And I thought that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Um, but apparently, they, you know, God had other plans. <laughs> so. Long story short, I ended up walking away from that experience with a lot of learning. I learned a tremendous amount on the way up. I learned even more on the way down about business, leadership, sales, having the right people on your team, um, and the importance of being on mission and having a, a code of honor in your business and so forth. And so I actually then went on to uh, teach other, uh, actually start a coaching company, Discover the Edge, which I have today. And uh, what I do is work with business owners and, and entrepreneurs and helping them to avoid some of the mistakes that I made and be able to shorten that, that, that period between the time that they have the idea and creating success. And so I'm very, very passionate about helping people to play to their strengths in a business of their own and to um, build an arena where people can play to their strengths so that people on their team. And a big part of that is sales. You know, I believe that sales is the number one skill in business and in life that you need to learn. And I remember Robert Kiyosaki said that once, and I was like, absolutely. You know, if there's one skill that you can learn to start off with, um, it would be to, to be ability, the ability to sell. So anyway, that's, that kind of catches you up to today. I've been, I've been coaching people now formally for the last 15 years um, and uh, coaching business owners and entrepreneurs and sales professionals and and uh, started my podcast about four years ago, interviewing difference makers and world changers, and and just uh, had an amazing experience. And you know, the whole thing now for me is about um, it's the one-to-many conversation. It's how can I uh, get the message out there to a wider audience? How can I create a wider ripple of impact throughout the world by encouraging leaders who are encouraging leaders and encouraging leaders? So. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about my background to bring me up to speed today. I absolutely love it. You know, when I was a, a child myself, uh, my grandparents who lived next door, my grandfather had a little garage sale that he ran perennially, and I really wanted to be involved in that. Now, there was really no marketing to it. Basically, whenever he was home, he opened his garage door and put a sign out, and if people stopped by, he sold them stuff. So. Uh, it could have been a prosperous thing, except there was going no market behind it. But I love being involved with it. I would spend hours in his garage rearranging his merchandise, putting price tags on it. I got a hold of an antique cash register, and I was just all excited when people came to get to use the cash register. And along with that, I 
had a little grass cutting business going on. Now that's how I raised some money. I lived out in the country, so my opportunities to find yards were somewhat limited. I mean, this was out where you know when you heard the the neighbors. Uh, rooster crowing in the morning, you actually heard the reverberation. They were that far away. Uh, but I did manage to pick up some. And I remember when I was, uh, when I turned 16 myself, I could not wait to get my driver's license. My passion about that was not so I could go out and party so much. I really wasn't the party type. Not because I wanted to go cruising with my friends, because candidly at that stage in my life, I didn't have a lot of them. Uh, but what I wanted was to be able to get to a place where I could make money to afford my own stuff. That motivated me. That drove me. When I was in college in the 1990s, I was at Penn State. I was a political science major. I was supposed to be working on my term papers. But there I was down in the computer lab, dating myself, computer labs. I mean, uh, I mean, who, what college student today doesn't have, like, three computing devices, but back then it was actually a big deal to have one uh, of those old uh, Windows 3.1 computers in your dorm room. And I'm supposed to be working on these papers, but what am I doing? I'm on some of the early e-commerce websites looking at competition auto sound products because I had a system in my Camaro, and I'm seeing these early companies that were discovering the power of the Internet to sell their subwoofers, amplifiers, custom kick panels, tweets and tweeters and all that other stuff. Uh, that's back when a, a tweeter was something that made noise, not something that you used to influence geopolitics. But that was my passion. I was figuring out, how do they do that? How do they do that? Fast forward again, after I completed my undergrad, then I went and got my MBA, and I got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug, and I actually stopped looking for jobs, uh, decided to hold on to that day job I picked up to get my, me through MBA school just a little bit longer, while I built a venture, and then it took me two years to jump into that full time, and that's mostly because I didn't know what I didn't know. So I didn't recognize that that day that one of my mentors came to me and said, look, dude, you're sitting here too long. I will give you $3,000 if you agree to give me a copy of the notice you handed on Monday. I didn't believe that it was possible to take $3,000 and turn it into a sustainable business. I discovered once I made the jump, I could have done it for a lot less than that. The other thing that I was missing through everything I just described to you is I didn't really know how to sell. I was good at getting referrals and having things handed to me on a platter going all the way back to um, having people come to me and say, hey, uh, would you cut my yard for me or something like that? But I didn't really have the skill to go out there and get it for myself. That's something that I discovered the hard way and went through a lot of not knowing what I didn't know. And to me... I think that kind of plays into where we want to begin here. And if you go to your website, Nicole, you discuss a lot, and I've had a chance to check this out, about the importance of playing to your strengths. So when we relate that to the topic of sales, why is playing to your strengths important? And moreover, how do you define that phrase? Yeah, great question. And thank you for sharing your story. Actually, it's interesting, just before I do that, one of the things that I discovered watching my dad, who was so gregarious, you mentioned about you know being in the garage and, and organizing this stuff. I watched my dad be so gregarious in his garage businesses, and you know I always thought, wow, he's such a great salesman. But what's interesting is I learned the distinction because in in those businesses, people would come to him, and he could happily sell them whatever it is that they needed to, you know, the repairs that they needed. He would just tell them what their car needed. Later on, when we were in business, he learned and I learned the distinction of, you know, being being an order taker, if you will, right, and having to go out and create your own sales. And I find that a lot of times entrepreneurs will come, people will come and they'll become uh, an entrepreneur launch their own business, and they're waiting for the, you know, for the calls to come in. They're waiting for those referrals and opportunities to come in, and then they're rudely awakened by the reality that that's not happening. Maybe it happened a little bit in the beginning. You got a couple of quick wins with supporters, people that you knew, but then after that, it's like, oh, now I need to go out and I need to talk to people and reach out to them and get my message out there. And how do I do that? And you know, and, and enroll them in what I'm doing. And so that's where 
the rubber meets the road ultimately. And so when you talk about playing to your strengths, what I'm referring to is your your strengths are the things that are your natural gifts. It's like I, I teach personality dynamics. That's why you know, I say I'm a human behavior specialist. I was trained through um, multiple companies, one specifically the Personality Insights. Um, they they taught me how to use the, the DISC model of human behavior, something that I've been using many, many years. They taught me how to train and teach that. And um, it's a very powerful tool because we all have different personality types, a unique blend. And based on our personality, we're going to show up in our, it's going to show up in our behavior, our behavior preferences, our communication, our personality will show up. And so when you understand, and every personality type has, has strengths and also has blind spots. Um, and so when you understand your strengths and you understand how you're wired, and you can now tie that to the way that you sell. I have some people that, you know, they just naturally love to network. They naturally love going to events and schmoozing with people, and and some people don't like that, you know. And then they look at them and say, "Well, I'm uh, there's something wrong with me because I'm not really into doing that." But I can go online and I can, you know, engage people online. Um, and then some people are more data driven, um, and so and then you have other people that are just very, you know, focused. They'll do the numbers, you know. They'll they'll dial for dollars. They're happy to get on the phone and run the numbers. But there's everybody's got different styles, um, you know. Uh, there's a diff- there's different styles of sales. Actually, Blair Singer wrote a great book called uh, Sales Dogs, and he talks about the five different sales types of uh, personality types of, of salespeople, and and it's very insightful. So you understand when you when you know what you're naturally uh, gifted at, and you can play to those strengths, you're going to have much more. Uh, success with it. Then you can add on, you know, we talk about sales dogs, you can talk, you know, cross-training, if you will, right? You can you can learn some of the other skills, but there's going to be a natural inclination. So for me, the natural inclination was to go door-to-door and sell because that's, that's kind of my approach. I'm that the personality type or with the sales dogs, it's the, you know, it's the pit bull, right? That just go out there and get it. You know, and and then there's the um, then there's the poodle. The poodle actually, it's kind of fun. The the, per, the uh, personalities of the dog. Uh, so you got the pit bull. You got the poodle. The poodle is um, kind of the schmoozer. They like to network and and let's do lunch. And then you've got the golden retriever, who is all about service. A lot of realtors are you know very service oriented. If I do a lot for them, hopefully they'll continue to do business and send referrals my way. Then you've got the Chihuahua, which is very data-driven, evidence-based, um, and then you have the uh, uh, the uh, Basset Hound, which is kind of like the old boys club, right? It's like, come on, we've known each other for a long time. How, you know, do business with me. Um, send your business my way. We've been, to get, you know, we've known each other for so long, and they kind of do the pleading thing, if you will. So, but again, there's strengths right. to each one of those. And so it's knowing what those strengths are and then knowing where the gaps are and where you can work with what you've got. Does that answer your question? Uh, Yeah, in great detail. It actually makes me think of something. Uh, There are so many theories in how to most effectively use social media to grow your business. And I've tried so many of them. And uh, I tried for a while using my social media to strictly talk about business. That didn't get me a lot of business. Kind of weird. Then I tried doing a thing where I became one of those people that posted a lot of quotes by famous dead people. That didn't exactly bring me business either. So I'm working through these different things that I was shown it would work effectively. Now, eventually what I came to was the realization that social networks are not created equally and people engage with different social networks for different reasons. For example, uh, if I go on LinkedIn, yeah, on LinkedIn I'm going to be talking business because that's really a place where people go because they are there to do business. They're not really there for CAD videos or to get involved in uh, arguments over hot-button social issues or anything like that. They're there because they want to get educated, they want to network with people, and they want to discover uh, what resources are available to them and vice versa. So when we get to, say, for example, my personal Facebook page, I 
discovered that the tactic that works best for me is to let people see a bit of my personality. So if you want to talk business, come over to LinkedIn. We'll talk business. Uh, we'll light up the DMs and we'll talk business until the calls come home. If uh, if you're on my personal Facebook page and people have asked me about this, they want to know why I go on about uh, about why selfies kill people and the importance of the Oxford comma and why I'll die for it and my cat videos and things like that. And, you know, funny, my both my cats are sitting next to me right now. And uh, And here's what I've discovered, that approach actually works well for me because it lets people see what it's like to work with me. Uh, they can get enough because I'll occasionally post stuff and make comments about the things that I do. I have my uh, Facebook profile set up so they can see the links to the various lines of business and things like that. So once they discover that I'm an interesting person in their view, if they find me interesting, then my discovery has been the, the fact that I do stuff for a living and that I can do something for them is one of those things that they'll, it's pretty much assumed. And if they have an interest in it, they'll ask me about it. But people say, well, you're going on about why selfies kill people and why you'll, and why you'll never take a selfie and why you, uh, and why you, you know, you're going on about your cats and the Oxford comma and everything else and say, yeah, that's how I'm getting my leads, how I'm getting business. People are signing up, giving me money because they like that stuff. So that's my personal strength, which is basically the start off. And I've seen other people use that, and it's very much your strength because it's in alignment with their personality. Other folks say, don't mess around with that stuff. Just, you know, just keep showing your case studies and your business stuff and everything else. I've discovered two things. Number one, algorithmically, that does not get me as much reach as some of my other stuff does. And number two, it's just, it's like you know, when I go to networking events, I'm usually, uh, I usually have my phone set up so that I have that app that makes it look like I'm getting a phone call. I can just push a button and I can make a phone call magically appear so I can leave because that's how much I want to be there. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's just, uh, that's just where I lead, and that's my strength, and I found that that's worked better for me than anything so far. I may discover other strengths, and I reserve the right to change my views on all this somewhere down the line. That's completely up to me. But, but you're being going back authentic. to what you said That's about playing your strengths is discovering you're, who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And being and being very authentic in whatever you do. Some people, uh, you know, they're just more charismatic and have fun. I think we can draw out. We have we all are social. We're human beings. So we're all social, but it's gonna show up differently and when you also look at it, you bring up a great point, is also it's your strength and it's connecting it to and, and you being authentic and real and it's connecting it to an audience. If you think about your audience, when people say to me, so I, I'm having trouble finding and connecting with my ideal audience. Well, first of all, do you know who they are? And then you ask yourself, okay, this is the question, these are the questions that I would ask myself over and over and over again as I was starting out is every time I changed a product line, every time I was, you know, selling something new, I, I was thinking, okay, well, you know, so who's, who's my ideal client for this and where do they hang out? And so Facebook, for some, Facebook is awesome. That's where their client is. Some, it's LinkedIn. To an extreme, I actually had somebody um, a number of years ago, it was a woman, she was in her mid I'm going to say uh, mid-50s, late-50s. And she wanted to help people at that time. She wanted to help. She wanted to launch a business helping people to learn how to use their computer. So people that were older than her that had been transitioned out of the workplace because maybe they, you know, hadn't kept up the times or whatever the case is and they wanted to get back into the workplace or people that wanted to kind of the you know the senior generation where they wanted to you know connect with their grandkids on whatever Facebook Skype whatever the case was at that time, and she said you know I'm I'm trying this social media thing and I just am not connecting to them and I said well they're not there right like they're not there that's where that's what you're helping them do is to get on there if they're already there they probably didn't need you because they're already there so it's just recognizing. And, you know, obviously with her, it's like, okay, well, where are they hanging out? If they're not hanging out there, where are they hanging out? And so uh, for the rest of us who are familiar with social media, then you look at it with Facebook and you say, okay, so now we're on Facebook. 
and I know my audience is on Facebook, how do I connect to them more effectively? And some people, you know, they, they're, you know, doing their case studies and all that kind of stuff, and people really respect it because that's kind of their, that's their persona. That's what they're putting forth. But for you, that wouldn't be enough. And, and I totally get that. So it's really understanding, honing in on you being the best you. That's what I'm all about. It's like you being the best you. And in your business, then, of course, your business is an entity. And so how do we help you in business be the best you? So the product that you have, the, the service that you offer, we look at that as a thing and we say, okay, so how can we play to the strengths of this thing that you've got, that you own, that you've built? And then your team, you know, you can look at it the same way and say, okay, well, so now I have this team. How can I play to the strengths of my team? And when you bring those things together, you get a strength-based team that can do some amazing things together. Right, exactly. So uh, we've already touched upon this uh, indirectly, but in your experience, your many years of experience, why is it that people dislike sales so much? Uh, we have a couple other things we want to cover, but let's get into that a little bit further so we can surface the issue. Yeah, sure. Most people, if I've done, you know, I do workshops, you might get some hands where people put up their hand because they know they're supposed to put up their hand. But if I had a workshop, which I have done many times, ask people how many of you really like to sell, it's usually about... 10%, maybe depending on the room, you might get a higher percentage. Of course, it depends on who's in the room. If you get a bunch of salespeople, of course, they're all like, yeah, I love to sell. Um, and then I ask the question, and I say, how many of you don't necessarily like to sell, but you know that you need to sell, and you're hoping that I'm going to give you some tips to make it just a little bit easier? And that's where usually most of the hands go up. Right. Why do people not like sales? The reason why they don't like sales is, is because of its conception. Right, we've we've experienced a uh, if you if you do a word association and I say salesperson, right? People will say, oh, sleazy, and I've done this done this exercise many times, even with salespeople, and they'll say this sleazy, pushy. Uh, some will come out with some positive traits, but a lot of them are weighted to the negative. And so, if we have a conception, you know, this pre, this this notion that this is what sales or people are like then it's no wonder people don't like sales because I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the sleazy, pushy person that people hate and they're trying to avoid and don't want to take their phone calls. So we've got to change a belief, the belief they have about sales. And for me, I look at sales as creating value in the marketplace, finding a need and filling it. You know, And so you create so much value in the marketplace that the marketplace wants to willingly, happily pays you for that value. And so as I teach people how to, you know, okay, what do you believe about sales? Why do you believe it's, you know, they're pushy, they're sleazy, they're this? It's usually an experience that they had. Somebody trying to sell them something that they didn't want, right, or them actually buying something and regretting it later. And so then it's them realizing that they have a choice, that that is, is one example or a certain number of examples that they can point to. But what if they could do it right? What if they could do it in a way, and I'm a big believer in selling the way that you would want to be sold. So early on, I used to make phone calls. And after I was doing the door-to-door -door and I realized if I actually got on the phone, I could do more, I could get to more people in a short amount of time without the walking distance and traveling and stuff. So I started getting on the phone. And uh, and then it occurred to me, like, I'm not really having very much success with this. And I went, wait a second, Nicole. If I if I got a phone call from somebody that said what I said, would I want to talk to them? No. Well, then why am I doing it that way? Well, because some book said so? Because some sales trainer expert told me that that's what you should do? And so I started to sell like I wanted to be sold. And it changed my perspective on sales. And I had a lot more fun, and I got a lot, and I had a lot more success in doing it. And so, yeah, a lot of people dislike sales, but you know what? It's funny. I mentioned Blair with uh, Sales Dogs. I worked with Blair. I owned a franchise a number of years back, and worked with Blair directly for about five years. And uh, and he loves to teach sales, and he's got some great stuff. And um, and he says, you know, I've never met a four or five year old that doesn't know how to sell. 
I've met a lot of adults that will tell me that they don't know how to sell. But I, I've never met a four or five-year-old that doesn't know how to sell, right? So somewhere along the way, the even the fear of no is another thing. People are afraid to, what if I, what if I ask them, you know, to buy this product and they say no? What is that going to mean about me? And so there is a, there's a self, and there's an identity issue. There's a, there's a self-esteem um, issue. What are they going to say about me? What are they going to think about me? And we worry a lot of times about what people think, and we make assumptions about what people think about us. And when in reality, they're probably not thinking about it as much as we're think- we think they're thinking about us because they're too busy thinking about themselves, of course. But Right. So anyway, yeah. Does that make sense? That makes dollars and cents, actually. Now, speaking of making dollars and cents, um, you made a mention in there about people who don't like to hear the word no and they don't like to deal with objections and things like that, and that's just part of it. Uh, so what is your approach or your recommended approach to handling objections, and where does it come from? So I, I, learned, this, I learned this early on, and uh, it was when I was on the phone making phone calls, and I was uh, – you know, I, I had this script. I was like, okay. So I did the thing door-to-door, and that was kind of just on the fly. But then now, okay, now I'm on the phone. I'm making sales calls formally. Okay, we're going to get serious in this. And so I had this sales script that I put together and, uh, you know, that I had learned from some sales trainer. And and it was like, okay, when they say this, then you say that, and then they say this, and you say that. And immediately, as you can may guess, you know, the first call, I get on the call, I introduce myself and so forth, and then they're supposed to say this, right, so that I can say that. They don't. And what I realized very quickly is prospects don't follow scripts. And I thought, what the hell? This is not helping me at right. all. So I threw it out, and I was like, screw it. I'm going to just talk to them and find out where they're at, get go into their world so I could understand who they are, what's important to them, what their frustrations are, and see if there's a, if there's a way that I can solve those. So when it comes to handling objections, I naturally went into the mode of asking questions. And before I ask the question, of course, I've got to acknowledge that what they said, again, selling to myself like I would want to be sold, is um, or would want to better yet, rather than even being sold, is to rather to, I would rather be bought in, um, which is a big difference. So... Um, in that, in that, I I started to acknowledge people and saying, okay, well, thank you for sharing that, right? I appreciate you saying that. Thank you for your honesty. And so the first step is acknowledge, acknowledge that whatever they're saying right now is true for them in the moment. And then secondarily is ask a clarifying question because what I realized is when I was starting to address the issues that they would bring up, then they had another one. And then I bring address that, and then they'd have another one, and they have another one. And have, finally, I was just like, okay, let me just get to the real issue, rather than saving my, you know, save my energy, figure out what the real issue was, the real objection, and deal with that. And so I would ask clarifying questions, and get to the point where, you know, okay, so that's the issue. Yeah, that's it. Okay, got it. Right, and then deal with that issue. This comes actually, um, this comes even to like when I got to the point where I'd be on the phone with somebody and you, you know, you pick up the phone and you're talking to them and they go, yeah, yeah, like, who are you? What do you want? And immediately I realized that if I was to try to sell this person anything in this moment, either I got to grab their attention and, you know, interrupt the pattern they're in right now because they're in the middle of something else, or I've got to schedule a time and find out when is a better time to talk to them. And so part of this was identifying what was actually going on for them and dealing with it before it even came up, before they said, go away, I'm too busy, is I just said, wow, you know what, you sound really busy right now. You're in the middle of something. Would it be better if I call you back a little later on? Yes, it would be much better. Okay, great. What time is good? And then, of course, I would have to call them at that time because – I'm going to do what I say so that I can build trust by calling them at the at the time at the appropriate time that I that I uh, said I would call them at, and I say, hey, you you know, I 
I promised I would give you a call back. You asked me to call you back at this time. Here I am. Is this a better time? And so acknowledge, ask the question, clarifying question, get to the real objection, address, address the, the emotional concerns or the, in, the, in the withhold along the way so that you can, you can co-create a sale with the person. So I, I got away from, let me try to close them. Let me try to get them to buy my stuff. It became about what's the issue, what are you looking to create, what is the challenge that you're wanting to solve, and how can I help you to do that? If I can, great. If, I, if I'm not able to, maybe I know somebody that I can recommend you to. But either way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here to support you, and I'm partnering with you. I'm actually sliding onto the other side of the table, if you will, energetically and saying we're on the same side of the table here looking at how can we address this issues that you have right right this is all very good i i mean these, these are some great things to consider and i think to me it just goes back to uh different personality types and how they think and communicate differently now there are different theories about personality types i mean we've heard of the socratic fluids and uh, the platinum roll and all other kinds of ways of breaking people into quadrants or segments or what have you uh, I'm not sure if that's something that you work with uh, and whether it is or it isn't. Uh, in your experience, what is it about these different personality types and how they think and communicate differently? And how can we learn to pick up on some of that stuff so we know who we're dealing with? Yeah, so I do use the DISC model. Human behavior is one of my primary ones. I've learned lots of the ones that are out there, but... This one, I just, I happen to like it. It's easier to understand. It's easy to remember. It's easy to apply. So, uh, so, that, so that's really important. So there are four different primary personality types. So I'll use those to give you, um, to answer your question. So if we look at the, the outgoing, there's two ways. If you ask yourself two questions, you, you know, you, where you fall in on this, on the, on this, um, model of human behavior. So either outgoing or you're reserved. Is number one question you ask yourself: Am I more outgoing or more reserved? Number two is: Am, am I more task oriented or am or and um, la la la? Am I more people oriented? So outgoing, task oriented, are the D personality types. They're drivers, they're doers, they're decisive. They like to lead and be in charge. Um, they like to, to to take action. The outgoing, people oriented, is the inspiring type. They are social, they like to have fun, they like to be popular, they, they're very interested in what people think and so forth. The people-oriented reserve types are supportive. They're more quieter, they like to listen versus talk. Right? They'll, they like harmony, they like teamwork. They're steady, they're stable, they like the status quo. And you've got the reserved task-oriented person who's more cautious, they're very analytical, they're contemplative, they like things to be done the correct way. Value and quality answers is really important to them. Now, everybody is a unique blend of all four of those personality types, but let's take them one by one. If you take the D personality type, number one, only 10% of the population globally is, uh, is a D personality type, which is that driver, doer, decisive personality type. And uh, predominantly, I'm talking about 10%. And um, that personality type, they like results. So if you're selling to them, they want you to be direct, they will decide quickly, and they are driven by results, and they like to make their own choices and be in control and have the power, right? The I personality type, the inspiring type, they're very much interested in the who, right? They're interested in who else is using this product. What other results have you been able to get for them? Right? They will decide, they will express, if they're interested, they will express their interest. They will share their stories with you. Right? And they are much more social. They're more talkative. You want to let them talk. You want to ask them questions and let them share. Right? And what they will do is they will decide uh, emotionally. Okay? So you, you understand that what they want is they want recognition. They want to be liked, right? They want to do things. They, their image is important to them, okay? So the, per, the supportive type is more quiet, more reserved, as I said. They're going to 
they're going to think about, okay, so um, uh, they'll, they'll decide carefully. They want to think things through and process through. They want to know that they can trust you, right? So they want you to slow down a little bit and, and take the time with them. So where a D personality is going to decide very quickly, they're going to decide a little bit more slowly, and they need that time. So if you push them through it, they're going to, they may actually agree, but they'll be the ones that might, they have a hard time saying no. So you might actually sell them, uh, but they, and convince them, if you will, but then they're going to resent you for it afterwards, right? So, so that's the S. And then the C, and I go through, I do whole workshops on this, and it's a lot more elaborate. But I'm giving you the quick overview here. The C personality type, they decide carefully. They're going to ask you a lot of questions. Um, they are where the, where the, so there's the results, recognition, the supportive type is, is interested in harmony and appreciation. They want to be appreciated and valued as a, as a human being is who they are. The C personality type, that cautious personality type, uh, type, they are driven by value and quality answers, right? So they want to know, uh, they're the ones that will ask why. And they want to know um, the details of it. They want you to go into, if you go into the level of detail, if you're a C personality type trying to sell to a D, which I've had many times, where they over-explain, they're basically selling them in and selling them out, selling them in, selling them out, because they're going into way too much detail. In fact, the D probably wouldn't even hang around that long. They would cut them off right off the bat and because they're going to decide quickly. So you've got to know who you're selling to. You've got to know your style. And you got to know the style of the person you're selling to so that you can match that up. It doesn't mean you have to change your style permanently to meet other, you know, people's needs. But if I want to communicate with you, it's important for me to understand how you, how I can best communicate to you that it's going to land with you because I have an interest in making that connection with you. So if I'm a D personality type and I'm a driver, doer, decisive, which I am, and I'm talking to somebody who's an I personality type, I need to take a little bit more time. It's not just about, okay, here are the, here are the results you're going to get. Here's why this is, you know, uh, good for you. Here's, you know, here's the, the, the short and skinny, the executive summary. I might have to elaborate a little bit more with you. If I'm talking to a C, they want a little bit more detail. In fact, the Cs are the only ones that say, when, when they say, well, let me think about it, they actually mean, let me think about it. If a D tells you, let me think about it, which they probably won't, they'll just tell you yes or no. But if they tell you, let me think about it, it's because they don't want to tell you no. What they're thinking is no, but they don't want to offend you. The I will tell you, let me think about it. But what, they're, what they want is they want you to like them, so they, they don't want to say no to you, right? So that's where you can recognize who it is you're dealing with and what do they actually need from you to be able to make a quality decision about whether or not they want to work with you or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And when we put all this stuff together, it gives us sort of a roadmap for understanding these different types of folks. And, I have to, and that was one of my discoveries, and it's something that I didn't at first know going in. And uh, you used the DISC model. Uh, I've, I'm familiar with DISC. I've been in seminars that were based on DISC. I'm also very familiar with Tony Alessandro's Platinum Roll. Um, and, it, and all these things tend to break people down into either quadrants or segments, and you see some of these very similar distinctions between who you're dealing with and how to reach them. And I've discovered over time that it does require a bit of flexibility when it comes to the sales process. Like I've seen uh, there are you know, various sales formulas out there that basically teach you how to get the close on the first call. Uh, one of these was developed by a friend of mine. I'm not going to say what it is because I'm going to also mention where I've had challenges with it, but it's a very, very good system. And if you look at the scripts that come with it, you get a lot of understanding of the basic use of neuro-linguistic programming and other tactics to use language to help people make the decision that feels good to them like it's their own ID. Yeah. The other challenge with this model, though, is I'm seeing, and I have seen, in fact, in practice, how there are some folks that are just not going to say yes on 
call. It's just not going to happen. And if you press them with, well, this discount is only good today or something like that, then they're going to say, well, you know what? They're going to think in the back of their mind, you know, if I come back to you tomorrow, uh, you're probably desperate enough. You'll still give me that discount. Uh, but I'm not going to anyway because you tried to push me. And that's not really going to help you. And what I also discovered using that model in a couple cases is I did get a couple people to say yes to me and then turn around and regret it. And there are folks that say, well, that's okay. If your refund rate is less than 20%, you're really not selling hard enough. Well, you know, I think a lot of merchant providers would beg to differ that a 20% refund rate is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't even tell you what my refund rate is. Of all the people I've worked for over the years, I think I've given out uh, – I've never given it, had to give out a full refund. I've given out two portion, two half refunds. Uh, so we, we made an agreement on it. But And I've worked with thousands of people over the years. So, But that's – but to me – it's not about making the sale. And it comes really down to why are you doing this in the first place, which I ask all the, my clients to start off with. I need to make more sales. I need to make more money, more profit, whatever, blah, blah. Okay, great. Well, we'll do all that, you know, and I don't discount it, by the way. I mean, these are important things. You need to have a business that's profitable. Um, you need to make money as if you're a sales professional. Absolutely. But what's more important to start off with is for you, in order to do that, is to understand why you're doing what you're doing. And if you're doing it simply to make money, hey, you know, that's all the power to you. That's not my client, actually. Um, I'm looking for people that want to make a difference, people that believe that their product is, is something that is of value, which comes back to what I was saying earlier about sales for me is about creating so much value in the marketplace that the marketplace willingly and happily pays you back for that value. And so in order to do that, it's got to be valuable. So I can't sell anything. I will not. But I also just find that I'm no good at selling anything. If I don't believe in it, I suck at selling it, bottom line. And it's because it's so important to me that what I'm doing is, and this is one of my strengths and the strengths finder uh, assessment, you know, one of my strengths is, is belief is I've got to believe in something in order for me to sell it. So so it really it really does come down to what are you looking to uh, create, what's the outcome, what's your why behind it and um and you know ultimately even if you want if it's like I want to make a lot of money and that's why I'm selling. Great. You know what? The best way to make a lot of money is one of the be- one of the best the best advertising a- uh, avenues is referrals. And so if you push people and you make them buy the car from you, let's say, right, and, they, and you convince them to buy the car, but they didn't enjoy the process and afterwards resented you because you pushed them too hard, are they going to send their friends to you? Not likely. And so then you've got to no. go out and you've got to spend your money going to get another new customer, whereas if you actually build a relationship with them and maybe took a little bit more time and they bought it because they – chose to buy it because they wanted it and they were ready to buy it, then the likelihood of you building a long-term relationship is that much higher. I'm all about results. So to me, I look at it and say, okay, you know, how do I get, how do I get the greatest result? Obviously making an impact, but secondarily is like, I want to, I want to be most efficient in what I'm doing. And so to me, that's also, not only is it make me, does it make me feel good and I get to be able to make a difference in the world, but I also get to do it in the most efficient way. You know, uh, you made me think of something here that um, it's not exactly the same thing as what you said, but when it comes to the idea of putting pressure on people and things like that, uh, one of my first jobs out of undergrad was working for a temporary staffing agency as a recruiter. And this is that job that uh, people who have been following me know is the one that was so awful that I celebrate the day that I was forced to resign as my second birthday and literally wrote about that story in my chapter in Journeys to Success, the Millennial Edition. That being said, uh, not long after that job ended, I was interviewing with one of their competitors. And it became clear to me that this competition firm, uh, I could see just by the way they were conducting the interview with me, they were extremely high pressure. They want to make me make these big commitments during the interview itself when I didn't even have time to think about a job. Now, it's one thing 
to buy a $97 e-course knowing, hey, I might get one tactic out of this, and if it makes me $200, I've realized two-to-one ROI. So fine, I'll buy it now before the price goes up at midnight. You know, I get $200 out of a $100 investment, I'm 100 bucks ahead. But we're talking about my job. We're talking about my career. We're talking about what I'm going to be doing from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. And in any type of sales industry, it's frequently more than that. So, no. Now, the real real tip-off is during that interview, they asked me if I could give them the names of some of the people who worked for my previous employer because they wanted to poach them. And I said, no, Hmm. I'm absolutely not going to do that. And after I after I, I I did schedule a second interview with them, but I was so put off by it that I actually canceled that interview. And uh, then ten minutes after I spoke with one of the interviewers to let them know that you know thank you so much for your consideration, I respectfully decline the offer and all that. Another one comes back and he takes this real hard tone with me, like you know I think you canceling this interview is a very bad idea and I'm going to tell you exactly why you're messing up by not considering working for us and I well I gave him as good as he got and then at the end of the call it became real curious he said all right I I understand you you're not going to step up to work with us but is there any chance you could give us just a couple names of the people who work for your <laughs> that other firm you worked for and I said I said look um I'm very candid about the fact that those people f me over but I'm not going to be that kind of sleazeball. Go get them yourself, click. And um, over the next few years, because people knew I had been in the temporary staffing industry and I'd been and I'd worked for a couple headhunting firms, uh, they would approach me and they're saying, "Yeah, hey, I'm looking for a headhunter. Or I'm looking to pick up temp work or whatever. Uh, I know you're in that industry for a while and you, and you know some of the people in that industry. Who do you think I should work with? And I would say, well, I think that um, – I think there's a lot of good firms out there. I had some positive experiences with A, B, and C, and I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you who to avoid. I didn't even mention my previous employer screwed me over. I mentioned that firm that tried to squeeze me as somebody they should avoid. Yeah. In fact, when somebody, in fact, when somebody came to me and said, uh, "My friend is considering working for that company that I know you used to work for. You know the one you told me screwed you over." And uh, what, you know, what should I think? I actually gave them a balanced view of the pros and cons of why they should consider working for that firm or not. I said, you know, to succeed with that type of company, this is the personality I think you need to have. This is the approach I think you need to have. And uh, because I don't have that, that's why I didn't work out. Um, Leave aside aside my feeling that they screwed me over. That could be a personal perception. I don't know. Uh, My my thing to you is just think very carefully. These are, I think, going to be the expectations. This is what I think your average lifespan is going to be. Are you considering settling down for a career? Are you considering stopping in for two years to build up your skills and then go and make the real money. You got to think about these various things. So even with that company that did all that to me, I still gave them a framework for their own consideration rather than warning them. But for this company who tried to squeeze me with high pressure tactics, outright, no, don't touch them. They're, they're sleazeballs. They'll press you. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes down to, I always thought about my reputation is, the most valuable thing I have, there's a saying, you know, your word is your worth and your worth is your word. Um, And so for me, I I wanted to be able to operate my business because I was in it for the long haul and still am. And I wanted to be able to walk in anywhere and for, for, not that I was worried about what people thought, but I wanted to build a reputation of integrity. I wanted to be known for that. I wanted to be known that, hey, if you do business with Nicole, she's going to make sure that she takes care of you and, and that, you know, gives you, gives you over, over delivers and under promises and, you know, things that, and, they, and I want them to have a great experience with me and I want them to feel comfortable that if they send a friend to them, uh, to me, friend of theirs to me or, you know, uh, uh, somebody that they've met at a networking event or whatever, that they can feel comfortable sending them to me and they know that that person is going to be well-serviced, well-taken care of, whether they purchase something or not. And so I treated that, you know, reputation, I treat my reputation as gold and I don't do anything uh, which, and I'm not perfect, nobody's perfect, Right, but I've learned this over the years. It's like if I protect that, then um, then I can sleep at night. 
you know, I can feel good about what I'm doing and I can feel good about the income that I earn and the people that I've been able to help. And so, you know, and then, you know, if anybody ever did say anything negatively about me, you know, it would be, it would be an anomaly and people would say, that's strange. That's not my experience. You know what I mean? So rather than be, oh yeah, right. oof, I know about her or I know about that company, like the one you're talking about, I'm sure they have a reputation nowadays more than ever with, um, Yelp reviews and different types of reviews. This is more important than ever before because, you know, we're, we're so transparent nowadays. So you can't screw over one person and, and think like that's just going to be shoved under the, the, you know, the carpet. It's, you know, it's, it's, right. it's, you're visible. So it's more important. It's more now more important that you are authentic and that you have integrity and you you sell with confidence and style that you sell ethically is important. If you want to be in this business, if you want to be in any business long term, then I I think that that's the most important uh thing to consider. Right, right. I think I and, and especially, I mean, reputation does get around very 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 quickly. I'm thinking of a of uh you know and this will be I think this will be a great place to end because it just shows the importance of reputation and authenticity. About a year and a half ago I had a really bad experience at a restaurant and uh it was and I tried to get satisfaction on the spot and they were just really nasty to me. So um I used Yelp. So here's how they responded to me. The simple thing would have been to say to go on Yelp and say, Wow, we're really sorry you had that experience. Um we'd like to invite you to come back and let us show you a five-star experience and hopefully change your mind. And the best part is I would have gone. Yes. But here's what they did instead. They found out that a friend of mine was using their venue to host events, and they threatened, they threatened my friend that if my friend didn't come to me and have me take the Yelp review down, they were going to give him a hard time. Yes, I bash wow. that place every chance I get. Every chance I get, I bash that place. So, again, you know, it's a matter of a very small thing. Yeah. It's interesting. People will, you bring up a really great point. If you, you know, people will, will share a positive experience, right, with their friends. But they are, what is it now? It's been a long time. I think it's like four times or maybe it's ten times. It's a lot more times that people will will share a negative experience over a positive experience. So you need that many more positive experiences in order for people to be talking about you versus negative experiences. Yeah. It only takes one like that and they go share it with four of their friends or multiple friends because they're like, you wouldn't believe. Just think about it. People are listening. Just think about it. How often do you go, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. Let me tell you. Right? We hear it all on Facebook. Uh-huh. People will, will sh- showcase those things. And so, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's where a lot of people are at, and and so you know if, if they're upset. They're gonna they're gonna share it, and they're gonna want to prevent their friends from having that same bad experience. So it's all the more important that you create positive experiences with people every single time that you you have a transaction, every single time you have a relation, not even a transaction yeah. like a sales transaction. Every time you're in an interaction with somebody, that you make it a positive experience. Because every single time, it's that it's that opportunity for you to to make a positive impact in somebody else's life, exactly, and to feel good. Hello, to feel good about what you do. Exactly, exactly. Now I know this is an interesting place to end, but it just you know goes back to the importance of everything we covered. We have about ninety seconds left. Forty-five of them are yours. Tell us what you have for us. Sure. So if your listeners go to discovertheedge.com forward slash business creators, um, I'll make sure there's some free downloads there. I've got a seven keys to maximizing your potential, building your business, transforming your business into a force for good. And uh, if anybody wants to talk about their specific sales situation or business situation, I'll make sure there's a link so you can access my calendar and uh, book a 30-minute session with me complimentary. Outstanding. And the link for that, as you told me, is discovertheedge.com forward slash business creators. I just want to make sure everybody gets that link. Yes. All right. 
So, yeah, I know. We ended at a very interesting place, and I think that that was a good place to end because it just speaks to the importance of why principles, you'll see how it can really backfire on you very badly. So we're sort of wrapping up with sort of a cautionary tale, but seriously, go back, subscribe, listen to this one again, and you'll get a lot out of it. So again, Nicole Jansen, thank you so much for being with us here today. It's been an honor and an education. Awesome. Thank you, Adam, for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Till next time, have a great day. Take care.